At Emmanuel, we never want Christmas to just be a pleasant interruption. Uh, we really embrace a season that people all around the world have, have celebrated and, and, and observed for years called Advent, where they take a whole season and instead of, oh, we're just doing our thing and then Christmas comes, oh, wait, we better put together a Christmas service. We, we want to say, let's take that whole season, those four weeks to prepare ourselves, to prepare as if Jesus was coming, let's prepare ourselves for his arrival. Let's prepare our hearts, let's prepare our homes for that. So that's what we try to do each and every year. And we, we do that in different ways. And the way that we did it this year was to look into the book of Matthew. That's what we did here this year. You know, if we're going to be the church that God called us to be, we, we, we want to really take times like this to, to go deeper. And I was reminded of how important that is just this week. This week, um, one of the mornings I was getting ready to, to come into the office and, and I was watching the news. And on the news, there was one of these newscasters, and he said, yeah, when I was growing up, my mom told me that, that, that first Christmas, it was really cold. And so all the animals huddled around the manger, and they all breathed on the baby to warm the baby up. <laughs> and as a farm kid, I'm thinking, what mom would ever put their baby under animals? They leak out of all of those, uh, you know. And, but that wasn't the thing that really struck me the most. What struck me the most is, is these are newscasters, right? This, this is our source for news. And no one could either verify or, or dispel that story. So he didn't know. He didn't know if this really happened or not. He's a newscaster. It's not that hard to look it up. And, and then he's going to the other newscasters and he's saying, you know, okay, do you guys know? Did this happen? And they're like, uh, uh, uh. And, and, and again, I'm thinking this is a news show. And then Geraldo Rivera comes on. And they were going to interview Geraldo. I'm like, okay, this guy, veteran news guy, all he has to do is just say, hey, would someone look up, you know, in the Bible? <laughs> but he doesn't. He's like, well, you know, I'm racking my brain right now to know if that's true or not. I, I, uh, I'm trying to think of every movie. He literally said that. Every movie I've seen on Christmas. And I'm like, you guys, you're newscasters. You're newscasters. Why are you going to go to movies for your source material? Why don't you just Google Christmas origins? Don't do that. No, go to the source. And that's what we try to do here at this church. We try to go to the source documents. And all they would have needed to do, it's, it's not hard to find the source material. If you're new to the Bible, you turn to the New Testament section, and there's two books of the Bible where you'll find it, Matthew and Luke. And it's in the, er, the opening of both of those. So just take a look. And we'd encourage you to do that. Look at the source material. That's what we've tried to do in this series. And specifically in this series, the source material from Matthew. We've called the series that is concluding today, God of the Misfits. That's the series we've been in, God of the Misfits. Because it seems like Matthew just is highlighting all these misfit stories. And one of the things we looked at four weeks ago when we launched the series was how Matthew himself would have been considered a misfit. Because of his occupation, because of choices he made. He was the last person, one of the last people that anyone would have expected that Jesus would have said, I'm going to welcome you into this thing we're doing. But Jesus saw something in him, something that was, that was so profound that now we're reading Matthew's account of that Christmas. So that was the first week of the series. The second week of the series, there was another apparent misfit. Nobody expected that the Messiah would be the stepson of a son of David. And in the eyes of his fellow Nazarenes, Joseph was a misfit because of what it appeared was true about him and his family. And yet, God knew Joseph's character, his character. And three weeks ago, our eyes were open to the fact that Joseph was the ideal role model for what Jesus was going to need later in life. And he was able to, to, to be that mentor in 
Jesus' life and his impressionable growing up years. Well, two weeks ago, Jason highlighted these mysterious magi. They appear to have been pagan practitioners of things that God had actually told people not to do. And yet they were part of this story that Matthew tells. And they actually fulfilled prophecies about these nations being drawn to the light. So that was two weeks ago. And then last night, we gathered around that baby in a manger. And we hit pause for just a minute during the service. And we said, this sounds too familiar to most of us. It shouldn't. This is a baby in a manger with all kinds of animals breathing. No, that, that was, that was, that's a myth in case you're wondering. Or at least not verified in the scriptures. So that misfit birth, that misfit birth, it changed our world. So today what we're going to do, today what we're going to do is we're going to look at this greatest gift of all time that came to earth. We're going to look at this greatest gift. And we're going to say, what does that mean for our family? Right? Christmas is here. What does it mean for our family? That's what we're going to do today. So to have a little fun to get started, we recreated a living room up here. And we're going to do a little campy skit. This is as campy as they come. We're going to have some fun. But I love camp, you know? So we're going to have a a fun skit. So... How many of you have seen some version of that skit at some camp along the way? How many of you were in that skit at some point along the way? Some of you were? Yeah. Yeah. Dan was. These guys were. Oh, let's talk about that a little bit. Um, this morning, what we'd like to try to do with uh, you know, the last part of our service here is to, to ask the question, now what? You know, what does this mean for our family that Jesus came, that he really did come? Because we don't want to repeat this mistake that we saw here on the stage uh, of a family that had all the right words, but they weren't living it out. They, they missed the whole point. That, that, that's not what we want to be. So let's, let's spend some time talking about what does it mean that he's here? What does it mean for our family to really welcome the way that Jesus welcomed them? Now, Matthew, one of the things that's interesting as you dig in, Matthew is the only gospel writer to use the word church. I'd never noticed that before. He's the only one of the gospel writers of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the only one that uses the word church. And that word that we translate as church, it's a word that meant gathering gathering. When Jesus was talking about that, he, he was casting vision for this gathering that looked different in the right ways from other gatherings. A people, a community that looked different than the other communities, the other gatherings, the other groups, but in the right ways. That's what he envisioned. That was the vision that he cast. And one of the things that Jesus did is he welcomed people who appeared to be misfits. He welcomed people that were very inconvenient, you could say. He, he welcomed so many people that others would keep out of their lives. And then what he did is he taught his community to welcome people the way that he welcomed them. That's what he taught us to do. Well, last night, we looked at the place where Matthew links the name Emmanuel to Jesus. Today, what I'd like us to do, if you have your Bibles, let's open up to Matthew 18, uh, verse 20. This is, as I was praying for how do we conclude this series that we're in and what do we say today, as best I could discern, this is, um, this is the, the verse that I thought was central to that. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. I want to let you know, too, if you don't have a Bible at home, we'd love to give you one free today. We don't have any adventure Bibles for you. Sorry, Dan, but we do have some other Bibles. We keep them there at that, that um, table. We'd love for you to take one home as a, as a gift to you. I know there was at least one person last night who took one home for the first time. We were so excited for that. All right, it says this in Matthew Chapter 18, verse 20, it says, where two or three are gathered, and then what does it say? In my name. Don't, don't miss that, because I think that's the central piece for us today. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. In Matthew chapter 1, we learn that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
That was his name. And as we gather in that name, God with us, he's going to be there in, in among us. Well, if you uh, have your bulletin, there's a place we have a note sheet in there, and I encourage you to write this down as we continue on here. When we gather in his name, Emmanuel is with us. That's what he said. When you gather in my name, then Emmanuel is going to be with us in our presence. And if you want to see examples of what that looks like, you can just start with this verse right there and zoom out because this verse is surrounded with practical examples of what that looks like. I had never really noticed that before and made that connection. I had seen that verse a million times, but I never made the connection of its context. If you just zoom out either way, if you look at what comes right before it, it's immediate context of where he says, if two or three are gathered in my name, I'll be with them. The immediate context there is drama. It's drama. When drama erupts, when, when somebody does something that hurts you, when someone does something that offends you, when someone, the word says, sins against you, I want you to respond in a way that other people often don't. Respond in a God-honoring way. That is, if you just read, that is the immediate context. In fact, this is one of the reasons why I, I do love, there's some great things about electronic Bibles, but one of the things I love about the, the, the word like this is you can literally zoom out and it's easier to see the actual context. And so that's what the context you come to if you look at the immediate context. And if you zoom out just a little bit further than that, and a little bit, and look what comes right before that, Jesus tells a story of a good shepherd who realizes that one of his little sheep is lost and he goes looking for it. Our misfit community should look like that. And then right before that, Jesus teaches about looking out for little ones. And right before that, Jesus teaches about becoming more like little ones. So our misfit community, gathering in his name, should look like that. And then one of the examples, uh, or what was I going to say? Yeah, all of these examples I just gave you right here come right before the place where Jesus says, when you gather in my name, I'll be with you. So that's all right before. Here's what comes right after. Right after he gets done saying, at least as Matthew records it, right after he gets done saying, if you gather in my name, I'm with you. Right after that comes an example that Matthew, the money guy, includes. It's a story that Jesus tells about forgiveness. Forgiveness. It's a story in which a debt is forgiven that would take 7,000 lifetimes to repay. Our misfit community should look like that. Exactly, says Brother Rick. Right after that, there's a teaching about marriage, about remaining faithful and committed, and another teaching about welcoming children. Our misfit community should look like that. Right after that, a rich man is challenged to give everything he's got to the poor and to follow Jesus. Our misfit community should look like that. And right after that, Jesus tells another story about being generous and happy for others when they experience grace. Even if you've worked harder and longer than they have. Our misfit community should look like that. And right after that, now watch this. Jesus says, right after all of those examples, all those examples, Jesus says, I'm going to be laying down my life for you. Their master says, I'm going to be laying down my life for you. And you know what comes right after that? It wasn't the hallelujah moment of, oh, we get it now, Jesus, so we lay down our lives for others. Is that? No, this, is, this comes right after that in the book of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, turn ahead just a little bit uh, to Matthew 20, 20 through 21. And again, you can fact check me on all those examples. I encourage you to. But if you look at Matthew 20, 20 through 21, it says this. Then this is immediately after all of those things. The mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to Jesus with her sons. And kneeling before him, she asked him for something. She said to him, 
say that these two sons of mine are to sit one on your right and one on your left when you come into your kingdom. Easy to miss the point, isn't it? Now it's all about them. And they're the center of everything. And here's one of the things that light bulbs coming on. This is the mom of the guy that wrote John 3.16. If it can happen to his mom, if it can happen to him, because he's not going, hey, mom, actually, you're missing the point. If it can happen to him, if it can happen to Bob and his family, right? It can happen to any of us, right? It can happen to any of us. Instead of targeting the bullseye that Jesus points to, they put a bullseye on a target that was way off. Let's jump to verse 24. It's in that same, um, the same account there. It says this. When the 10 heard what these other guys had done, they were not forgiving and all that type of thing. They were indignant at the two brothers. Jesus called them and said, hey, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And then he says this key phrase, it should not be so among you. It shouldn't be like that among you. It's going to be like that among them, expect it. Among you, it should be different. You should be different in the right ways. And then he goes on to say this, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. All this to say, Jesus is saying, when you gather in my name, if it's, if it's going to be real, if this is going to be true, if you're authentically gathering my name, you're going to look different in the right ways. You're going to look different in the right ways. It's so easy to get caught up in all these cultural currents. That's always been the case. We see it here in the scriptures. We're called to look different in the right ways. So before we leave our family living room this morning, here's a couple thoughts I'd like to leave you with. There's a place to write this first one down in your notes. It's a question. And this is the question we're going to try to unpack real briefly. What does hitting the bullseye look like? What does that look like? What does hitting the bullseye look like when it comes to honoring the name Emmanuel? Because that's going to be our target. It has been, it will be. This is our target as a church family. Our target is not bigger. Our target is not hipper. Our target is more like Jesus. That's our target as a church. That's what we're shooting for. So here's two Christmas images that came to mind that might be helpful as we look at that target. There's a place to write this in your notes too. Here's one of these, one of these things that it maybe looks like. Nativity scenes. I believe nativity scenes provide a glimpse of the church that Jesus founded. If you want to have a target, if you want to start to say, okay, what, what does this look like? Look at a nativity scene. You know, again, they become so normal to so many of us. We don't stop and go, that is really a strange collection right there. Think about that. You've got that baby in a manger, which is strange enough right there. But the baby is surrounded by angels and these mysterious magi and shepherds. You've got mortals and immortals, men and women, young and old, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile. You have all these people that you normally wouldn't see together. Some aren't even people, they're angels. You have all these gathered together by this birth. And one of the things you see is Jesus, as his life goes on, that crowd gets even more diverse, doesn't it? He welcomes in all of these folks that, you, that no one else was trying to assemble all together. God may call, he may call some churches to target a narrow demographic. That's not my place to judge. That's not our place to judge. But we can't do what God's called us to do if we do that. So we got the hard work in front of us. If we're going to truly have the name Emmanuel, we got the hard work in front of us to try to take a collection of people who normally wouldn't be gathered in the same space gathered in, in houses together, gathered in worship services, and we try to make it work in Jesus' name. It's a lot easier to grow an organization of people who are like you. Isn't that true? That's very true. 
But when you consider the witness that we'll be in a, in a society that's becoming more and more tribal all the time in our culture, well, I think how we're going to stand out, how different we're going to look as we do the hard work of saying, we're going to try to reach across ethnic lines. We're going to try to reach across economic lines. We're going to try to reach across all these different lines that so many people are just saying, I'm not going to try to reach across anymore because it's just too hard. We're going to see some differences. We're going to stand out. Well, one of the things, again, I mentioned this earlier that stood out to me is that Matthew is the only one of the gospel writers to use the word church. And one of the things that I think might be going on, this is speculation on my part, but one of the things I think might be going on there is Matthew experienced being welcomed in like none of the others. Because you've got John, for instance, one of the other gospel writers, he came into this whole thing with his brother and a couple other guys who were fishermen, right? The, the others kind of had some, had some fellowship, more so, Matthew comes in, and Matthew literally, he's got, what do he's got? He's got this guy, Simon the Zealot, who I'll have to speak in code here because we've got little kids in us, who wanted to take him out and not to dinner, right? Because of what zealots and tax collectors, that's just how it was. So that's Matthew coming in, but he was welcomed in. He was welcomed in. And maybe that's why he says, this thing called the church, I got to put this out there because this is different than anything else I've experienced personally. And here's the thing. If we had another week to the series, maybe we'd go down this path. Matthew was a tax collector and and that shocked people. And they said, why are you even eating with these people? And I think about today in most churches, at least most churches, most churches today, they are welcoming the people and reaching out to the people that were once shunned in Jesus day that were shunned. Most churches don't shun the poor and marginalized anymore. We, we reach out to them. It, it, it's considered a good thing. Our challenge, if we had one more week, I'd love to go this on this rabbit, this important place. Are we really reaching out to today's tax collectors? Do we even know who they are? Because chances are they're the person we don't want to be associated with. In your head, if you think about this, think in your head. Get, seriously, do this right now. Get in, in your, sorry to be command in my language here. Um, I would encourage you to, invite you to do this right now. Um, to... To think in your head of, of imagine a group that you would not want to be associated with as our church. Maybe that's who Jesus would reach out to. Does that make sense? So, wow. Matthew had experienced something very, very different. Are we going to welcome today's tax collectors? Are we going to become increasingly this group that is not all the same? And as you get to know the people, your other Christian brothers and sisters, we are not all the same. Not all the same. And one of the marks of a church that is gathering in Jesus' name is a commitment to not just reaching out, but to try the best we can to make this work. We welcome, we love, we listen, and we hold each other accountable to the scriptures. Because it's not just about inviting people in, it's about inviting in and following Jesus, right? Can I get an amen to that? Okay. All right, that was one of the two images. This next one I'm going to keep just really tight here. Here's the other image that comes to mind as I think about this whole idea of how do we hit the bullseye. The misfit toys, I think, are helpful. If you want to paint a picture of the bullseye, the misfit toys provide a glimpse of the church that Jesus sent forth. Even as the nativity sets a a picture of the church that Jesus established, that he founded, the misfit toys, that gives me a picture of the church that Jesus sent out. We open the whole series with um, with, uh, these two characters, Rudolph and Hermie. I think we we got a picture. There's Rudolph and Hermie, these guys. And then as that story unfolds, there's these misfit toys that they come across. Those two were misfits, and then they meet all these other misfit toys. Do we have a misfit toy slide? There they are, some of those. They were actually here. They made an appearance. Uh, those of you who were at Buddy's last night, the misfit toys. So as, as, as the story goes along, Hermie and Rudolph, who are two misfits, they find this whole group of misfits on this island. 
all together, singing songs about being misfits. Can we ever as a church fall into that trap of just gathering together and then we start to paint the world as this, this enemy out there and we all huddle together, right? Jesus, the story didn't stop with the nativity scene. Jesus ends up in the end, by the end of Matthew, he ends up saying, okay, I, I'm God with you as this baby. Now I'm going to be with you to the end of the age as I give you this great commission to now go into the world and make all disciples. And at the end of that movie, Rudolph the Reynolds Reindeer, you've got these misfit toys being dispersed, right, throughout the world. And isn't that what God calls us to as well? So you have these images, if we want to do this well, that I think might be helpful. And as the worship band comes up, we're going to bring this to a close here with some great songs. I want to encourage you to write this down. There's one last blank for this series. I encourage you to write this down. Here's our invitation for today. Let's be the church that Jesus is coming back for. Can we do that? Can we? Okay. Again, two of us, Bob, you and I, we're in this. Anyone else in with us? Let's be the church because we need us all. You will. Awesome. Good. Um, so we want, let's be the church that Jesus is coming back for. Let's do the, as, as much as it depends on us, the Holy Spirit working through us, encouraging one another. Could we be that church? And what's so fun is we've got all of these stories that are starting to happen over these last 10 years where people are noticing that we're different. People are noticing it. We had, we had so many of those that happened in this space where we've gathered because we gather in a community center. And we've had so many times where the staff says, literally, uh, not us asking, hey, do you really like us? No, they, they volunteer. You guys are different than the other groups. One of the reasons we're different is because the other groups treat them like, hey, you're here to serve us. What do we try to do? As, right? We try to say, we're here to serve you. And so they're noticing that we're different in that way. And then Jason had a story. Can you tell that story um, of another way that we were standing out here too? Yeah. Well, yeah, just this week. I mean, as we were getting ready for last night, um, you know, we were making candy cane forests and, you know, this magical thing. And we, more and more of the staff was coming from, from the building here, was coming and looking down the hall. And they came and said, can we take pictures of this so we can use it for like our promotional materials? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> And then there's a preschool that, that meets here and they were coming and bringing the kids so that they could come and look down the hall. And it was just so fun to, to, to realize like, no, we're not inconveniencing them. Like they're really enjoying the fact that we're here and making their space beautiful. And it was a blessing to them. Yeah, it was fun. And, and think about, you know, think of how different this is than most of the news stories where it seems like the church and cities are at odds. It doesn't have to be like that. You know, they can actually have this threat where these guys, they, there's this respect and there's this excitement and this intriguing, and they even want to use it for promotional materials. They want to promote what's going on here. We can be different in the right ways. And I'm going to pray to that end, and then we'll sing and we'll close with some great songs. So let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for coming and being with us and then living a life that shows us what it could look like if we welcome the way you welcomed and love the way that you loved. Father, as we bring this series to a close, may we honor you through these great songs, these great songs that commemorate what you did. May we now continue that work in this time. In Jesus' name, amen.